1: Hey, everyone, and welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jonathan Mayo and Darren Sutton as we bring you our annual National High School Invitational Edition of this podcast we are here in kerry north carolina the usa baseball national training complex and we are looking out over beautiful coleman field here getting ready for semifinal action on friday afternoon first of all darren welcome to the podcast i believe your first time on the pipeline i'm podcast. really excited
2: i will go through the rookie hazing i know that's part of it i am uh, honored to be in here offering my at least 35 cent opinion
1: and darren of course you know the name. Uh, major league baseball broadcaster he's also very much involved now with the amateur side of things we'll call him a guru and he's been roaming the grounds here at the national training complex bringing us great stuff from both dugouts you can check out all that stuff on mlb.com and also the usa baseball website Um, We're going to get into some of the exciting guys that we've seen this week. Now, some of these guys are headed towards a draft day and a high draft pick. Some of these guys are not. Some of these guys are still trying to find a college to go to, but they've still been exciting this week for sure. But I wanted to start with day one action and kind of that prime pitching matchup we had. It was Hans Kraus and Jacob Heatherly. And, Jonathan, neither guy came out here and blew away the competition, but we saw they were both guys that, that can battle if they don't have their best stuff. Right.
0: I think the, the, the best takeaway is how competitive both were, uh, and they both showed some, some pretty good stuff. I mean, Kraus was up to about 95, 96. Uh, at times, he showed a really good breaking ball. Uh, he also showed that he has a lot of trouble commanding that breaking ball. Uh, and those are the you know the the two things that stood out with him. I actually talked to a scouting director who was watching him and said that you know he doesn't really know what to make of him. And as much as we enjoyed the personality and some of the antics and things like that, I don't know that scouts particularly care for that. Uh, they think it's a little too much, especially because he wasn't dominating. You know, if he's landing everything for strikes and he's just mowing him down, that's one thing. You know, so uh, you know that that's one you know a thing that I think people are going to have to watch to wait and see there's a long been some concern about the effort in his delivery now his stuff his pure stuff and his arm strength is going to interest a lot of teams you know on the flip side you know heatherly was up to 92 93 and and uncharacteristically struggled with his command this is a guy who usually puts the ball where he wants to he's got a really good four pitch mix uh, and he just could not get in any kind of rhythm and tim you remember during our broadcast i kept saying well maybe this is the inning that he's gonna have that shut down inning and it And it never really happened, but he did keep them in the game, you know, considering that he didn't have premium stuff you know he's a lefty he's up to ninety two ninety three i don 't think the one start is going to hurt his draft stock all that much uh, because that kind of stuff from the left side doesn't grow on trees.
2: You know what I think is interesting too, and I just want to top both of your thoughts because I think they're spot on um, and it 's hans Kraus he 's kind of. When we're with our friends in the basement, for lack of better words, we're playing video games, we're ourselves. I think that's who he is with that Dana Hills high school team. And I'm speaking directly to, you know, the antics that go along with uh, the extra effort delivery and the velocity, all of which Jonathan said, folks, it did show up. It showed up beautifully. Uh, Geek out a little bit. I mean, his average fastball velocity, according to Trackman, was 944 but I watched him very close in the dugout last year at Tournament of Stars, and I watched him fall into line. And I'm hoping scouts watch that, too, because what we saw when he's in his basement with his buddies, with air quotes around it, is very different than the guy that was trying to represent the United States, understood that Matt Blood was watching, uh, handled himself very differently, top step, and cheered for his team. And then even to tie in, uh, guys, what you're talking about, he still is a very selfless teammate. He still is a young man that, yes, there may be some interesting stuff when he's on the bump out there with his friends on his high school team, but boy, does he care about those guys, and I'm hoping there's some value to that. Jacob Heatherly just plays a lot of baseball, and and I think we may already be getting to the point where um, every outing is going to have a little bit of um, law of diminishing returns to it. He's pitched deep into games last couple of weekends and perfect game events, um, pitched well at Lake Point a couple of times, but then he goes out and immediately plays in the outfield and gets a bunch of at bats and he feels and heck yeah good at bats in our game that we watched he feels so responsible for doing everything for his team Uh, I know two weeks ago maybe three it was the the Coleman prom and he opted to not go to prom and stay and play in what was a JV laden roster team to finish out a weekend of games I mean I I think he just plays a lot of baseball so those are two things to go on top of what you said which is great scouts analysis um, and I think maybe that's why both of those things are happening
1: We're going to be kind of heavy as far as pitching goes in this podcast because, let's be honest, from what we've seen in our games here, uh, the pitching has kind of shined. And you mentioned um, that Heatherly likes to try to do it all for his team. How about a guy that did do it all for his team on day two and it was – Uh, It was a Archbishop McCarthy team came in here, kind of the consensus number one, number one in the Baseball America polls. They're also number one in the perfect game polls coming in. And they run into South Hills in the quarterfinal. And Brandon Dieter had that game circled for maybe months, definitely weeks. He's the ace for South Hills. And his coach said, he wanted to face the number one team in the country. So they didn't throw him on day one. They held him back for day two. Not only does he go the distance, he allows one run to the number one team in the country, he, he basically dominates, but he also dominated at the plate. He drove in a run, he scored a run, he had a couple of hits. And I would think, as far as the games we've seen, when you look at who the MVP so far maybe in this tournament was, it's Brandon Dieter and what he was able to do on both sides of the ball. Yeah,
0: I think so. And start with the fact that he had figured out that there was a good chance that they were going to face Bishop McCarthy in, in that quarterfinal and told his coach that he wanted the ball that game and then went out and with more quiet composure and intensity than anything else showed uh an ability to to mix pitches he had a great game plan uh his changeup was unbelievable in that game and he started in those middle innings he really started to use it and then showed he had a little fastball left at the end. You know, it looked like he was, you know, maybe he's getting a little tired. Then all of a sudden he had a little bit left in the tank. Uh, you know, at the at the end of the day, he swung the bat well, fielded his position well. You know, I, I don't know what his future is. He's a junior. Uh, you know, so from a draft perspective, we have a, another year. I have a feeling we'll be talking about him quite a bit. He's committed to Stanford, and that's always a, a tough commitment. To, you know, any team that's going to be really interested is going to have to take him high or spend a lot of money is, is my guess. But... You know, just from a competitive standpoint, uh, Stanford's got to be thrilled, uh, either if he's going to be a two-way guy. I mean, I think he's a very talented position player uh, who knows how to pitch, so and he's got some growing to do so he 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 has been as impressive as anybody in terms of all facets of the game that we've
2: seen and that's what's fun about guys now this is the third guy Kraus kind of uh, masquerades a little bit as a position player on occasion but this is our second third guy that that feels like he has to do everything for his team and uh, it's fun that's the difference between I think elite travel baseball and high school baseball that's what makes this tournament fun and uh, Dieter, you know, to to go back to some of the numbers, his average fastball according to TrackMan was eighty five point eight. That's respectable. That's yeah. not overwhelming. That's not first round pick stuff. But with the movement and the life, and you mentioned the changeup. Boy, that was that was a fun change changeup. Quick visual too. I mean. Um, when he got the last out of the game, when he put that game in the books, just put his head down and quietly walked off the field. Uh, that's how he started his day. That's how he finished his day. Um, you know, this is a guy that maybe is a middle 20 round pick out of college and just keeps pitching and pitching and and somehow athletically finds his way up. I don't think at any point he will be a guy that drives you crazy and makes you pick him in the first round. Right. But um, he's a baseball player. I hate saying things like that. That's that's a lazy thing to say. I think he could be it's a, a potential pro. I, I, I think, there. but
0: you know what? I think that there are times when that gets overused because you talk to scouts and there's like, you know, sometimes it's a compliment and sometimes it's like, well, well I don't know what to say about right. it. And in this case, it's a compliment. And I think it fits for him. You know, it, like, if you told him we need you to catch tomorrow, he'd probably go back there and do what he needed to do. Game one, he played first. Evidently played a really good first base. We didn't see it. It was on the backfield. Played a really good first base. He, he never played first base before their first baseman's hurt. And, you know, and it kind of was what they needed at, at the time. I wonder if he's got more upside potential as a position player. I mean, you know, we haven't really seen what that looks like, but uh, you know that that might be where his future lies when all is said and done.
1: And we saw him play really well defensively yeah. from the pitcher spot. I mean, he handled the yes. bun exceptionally well. A comebacker, he started a double play with, and he looked just comfortable fielding his position. Uh, At pitcher, and he plays a little shortstop as well. All right, we're going to move on to some other players, but before we do that, we want to take a minute to tell you a little bit about. Let me let me reset that. We'll have them edit that back in the studio. <laughs> Before we move on to that, we want to take a second to tell you about the StatCast podcast, a show dedicated to the analytics that drive front office decisions in the modern game. It's hosted by Mike Petriello, our good friend, and Matt Myers as well. And this week was their season preview episode, including division winners, predictions, and some StatCast Stats to watch for every MLB team this season. You can go download it on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcast by searching for StatCast Podcast or by going to www.statcastpodcast.com. All right, back to the National High School Invitational. And one more pitcher I wanted to talk about, and you talk, you mentioned that, that Dieter's a guy that probably isn't going to end up being a first-round pick or anything like that. The other guy that has wowed us here maybe won't get drafted at any point because he's still looking for a college program, but boy, did he, was he a lot of fun to watch on game two? And that's Daryl Woodall as he pitched his winder Barrow team into the semifinals of this tournament, the crazy kind of funky submarine delivery. He's throwing 65, 70 miles per hour. And he beat one of the top teams in the country, six and two thirds shutout frames. Um, he's a guy that i'm sure people took note of here not professional scouts maybe but certainly some college scouts there
2: yeah and he's a guy that uh real soon probably will be sitting like all of us taking in the pipeline as a fan i mean this is not a a pro prospect really at any point and uh, i mean that very respectfully because he's again who high school baseball is there are the Heatherleys of the world and the and the Krauses of the world, and this is true when you get to the lower levels of of pro baseball. And then there's everybody else. I got to be one of those everybody else fill out the roster guys in pro ball and. You know, he's who high school baseball is. They don't win games like this. That's what makes this tournament so great. Um, you know, we see a young left-hander for Huntington Beach, a sophomore. Remind me his name. Malone, Mamol. Last year, they won the... Uh, Madol. Uh, Madol. Madol. There yeah. we go. He God. wins the championship throwing 50, you know. And obviously, I'm, I'm exaggerating. Not by but, much. But he, he he was just a character, you know, going back to what we watched yesterday. and uh, He cared about his team. He was selfless. He had so much fun. I mean, ultimately... If we're going to talk corporate a little bit and big picture and what all of the bosses of this game want is, you know, have fun playing baseball. Enjoy it. Well, there's your poster boy right there. You know, make it up as you go along. Have a stuffed animal as your as your good luck charm. Bill. Uh, yeah, Bill. On Bill. Be silly with your teammates. Be willing to talk about on our, on our live stream. It could have been television for all he knew. Uh, moments before you're going back out. He made the game fun. To pitch the seventh the right, final To pitch the right. seventh and final inning. He made the game fun, uh, and, and I guess I hope that maybe he goes and plays somewhere in baseball. Someone invites him to come play. You know,
0: I have to think that what he does would be of service to a bullpen somewhere, junior college, Division I three. Don't, I don't know what and As his coach pointed out, he tends to be more effective the better the competition. Right, so if you're at a, you know even a, a good Division three program, your starter might go out and throw upper eighties, maybe even have some guys who throw low nineties, and then you bring this guy in, even if it's just to face a couple of hitters. I have to think that that you know that could be of service, maybe helps him get into you know go to college, uh, extend the career a little bit. But as he said uh, to you, Darren, that this is the most fun that he has ever had in his life. <laughs> If he never throws pitches again beyond this year, or maybe he pitches in college a, a little tiny bit, he will look back at yesterday for the rest of his life because when else is he going to get a chance to pitch on this kind of stage? All right, how about some bats? Because we've seen a little bit. I mean,
1: there's some great players here, obviously. Alex um, We we've seen Mark Vientos play uh brady mcconnell McConnell. don fernandez who maybe wasn't one of the big names coming in has had a a big day as far as power goes and and from big teams um we've seen flashes of that jonathan anybody stand out to you from that that list of those those kind of top 25 type high school players that aren't pitchers
0: well you know it's interesting because most of the sort of quote unquote high-end guys Have not done a whole lot. I mean, Garrett Mitchell has not had a particularly good tournament. He's looked kind of uncomfortable. The game we did, he never looked comfortable uh, struggling with soft stuff mostly. Uh, You know, Vientos has looked athletic. I think most people think he probably moves to third base, but hasn't really done a whole lot uh, in in this tournament. Brady McConnell uh, is a guy who uh, has not performed as well as he did the early part of the summer. He hasn't really jumped out you know so it's been kind of strange in the regard that none of those sort of top guys you know on that list have really done anything there are some other guys a little lower down the jacob amayas uh, tristan hanoian i think uh you know and both of those guys i would say are going to go on to be really good college players and then we'll see what happens but those are probably the guys who have stood out the most and then you know a couple of underclassmen have uh you know have kind of helped themselves uh, a little bit mason denneberg was going to be a guy a year from now anyway um but he's pretty impressive and we didn't even see you know yesterday through six shutout innings and had a few hits and uh you know i think a year from now when we're doing our draft stuff tim uh, we're going to be talking about him quite a bit
2: yeah i would agree mason denneberg's a name that comes up the the bruiser brothers who play for hamilton high school and uh in in arizona are, are fun to watch and there is a younger there's a 2020 grad never too early to talk about michael who has done good things here and we know nick who is going to stanford has been fun to watch orange lutheran catcher who is a usd commit caleb ricketts has looked pretty good
0: the people have talked about him
2: a little bit so yeah. so where does he go positionally is the big question i don't think it's catcher and uh going to a good program really good student real smart student Um, you know so those are the guys and and you know I want to mention one more player if I can get my head wrapped around you know some of the bigger impact guys and and that's some work behind the plate it's it's Winder Barrow and it's Bo Hanna I I don't know the body type I don't know you can tell me all that stuff about the bat but there's there's a mental part of his game there's the ability to frame these there's the ability to to call pitches Nick Kale of of uh, Chaminade, who went on to Washington, got drafted. Kind of that same build. So I don't know if he's an exceptional offensive player, but there's something, there's a value to catching, right?
0: I feel like every year there's been a guy in this tournament that behind the plate, I'm like, boy, I, I could see that working. Even at, at Division One. Arden Pabst played here a long time ago. And then he's in pro ball now. I mean, he went on to college, and, and he was an exceptional defender and, and, and a very good leader behind the plate. Jeremy Martinez uh, went on to USC, uh, had a really good pro debut in the Cardinals system. He played here for, for Matter Day. Uh, so I feel like every year there have been those guys that don't jump out as top, top prospects. Jeremy Martinez was a name from, like, the time he was in eighth grade mm-hmm. and kind of plateaued. But uh, I think that Bohenna is one of those guys, and he's going on to Kennesaw State. It's a good college program. Uh, he's basically following the same path, as we said, when we broadcast the game, that Max Pentecost. Uh, same high school. Same college. Uh, We'll see. He's not, like, super athletic behind the plate, but he can really catch. He calls his own game. Right. Um, Now, it's hard to evaluate his catching skills when he's catching a guy throwing 74. Granted, it was, you know, submarine and it moved, and and he created the game plan and followed it. You know, so – and he swung the bat pretty well. He hit a couple balls really hard. Uh, So I think he'll go on to college, and in three years we'll see. You know, uh, he hasn't gained his – man strength yet Yeah, you know, he he might fill out in a really good way and, and and then we'll be talking about him a little bit more san clemente a couple of years ago came here with colby allard
1: he didn't even get to pitch but i think his catcher lucas herbert who also called his own pitches if i remember right and he ended up kind of skyrocketing from yeah here he's, in
0: the, he's in the brave system yeah. now he's uh struggled with injuries and hasn't really hit yet uh but uh he sort of had a not as high profile, but sort of an Austin Hedges kind of feel to him, just in terms of how good he was behind the plate.
1: All right. One last thought before we end the podcast, and that is California, Florida, Georgia. This always kind of becomes a pride thing for states as well. And every year we end up leaving this thing and it's California that dominates. Florida came here with five teams this year, California with four, three of those four are in the semifinals. All the Florida teams are out In the five-year history of this tournament, nine of the ten finalists have been California teams and four of the five champions. What is it? Because I know the talent is great in Florida as well. Uh, Georgia doesn't have as many teams in this tournament, so it's tougher for them. They have great talent. But for some reason, from a team standpoint, those California teams always end up coming out on top. I'm going to let Darren talk because Darren has a little love affair with Southern California. Well, I'm from
2: there. I'm going to theorize, <laughs> and this just comes from kind of out of left, right field, whatever, whatever part of the showcase it comes from. It feels like California players, call me crazy if you want, it's been done before. Fly, fly a little bit below the radar in comparison to players around the rest of the country. It seems like the concept of uh, showcase and travel baseball, it is a part of California. You know, Garcia Parra Baseball Group and CBA, there's some SGV who is, uh, you know, really well represented on the South Hills team. But it just doesn't seem to be as extensive. And you can use Danner and Prado as good examples. There's not a deep profile on players like that on the showcase and travel ball circuit. So I think... You know more about Archbishop McCarthy. You know more about American Heritage. You really know more about teams from from Georgia because it's kind of the heartbeat of of travel ball baseball, especially for the last decade. So I'm going to theorize that a lot of those teams fly a little further below. Uh, They play more high school baseball, some of them, than they do travel baseball. So uh, the team concept maybe is a little bit more important out there. I don't know if it's good or bad. That's just a a unique theory as to why. There's always been good athletes in California, but this Texas, Florida, the same thing. Um, that's my my unique theory.
0: Yeah, I, I honestly don't have a, a, an explanation. I'd have to kind of look at the rosters more. I, you know, I, I think that you could probably put together the best players from both states and put them in a showcase setting, and you might come away with more good players from Florida than right. California in right. any given year at any given event. But the, I think that the team part has something to do with it. Uh, those programs are – really really good uh and they know how to win and they know how to win in this tournament this is you know this tournament is is kind of a different animal uh high school teams don't play four days in a row you need a Uh, lot of pitching. you need a lot of pitching and yeah i think that's often what it what it comes down to is that maybe they just have deeper pitching staffs and and uh, and they just invariably every year come up with guys who come up with huge performances in big spots even if they're not d1 prospects or pro prospects
2: it's a little easier too for private school programs just by the nature of how they're designed and the donors and the support and the way the funds can be moved around to make a choice to come here more challenging for public school programs and the fundraising that has to go on there Um, so so it's exciting look I, i have no preference either way i've had kids go to both and Um, But but I think it's kind of fun that there's three public school programs that probably had to bust their butts on the funds side to get things together that are here. You know, Orange Lutheran, a very good program, great faith-based school. They're the lone private school. The other three are public schools. I think that's kind of cool.
1: And the Georgia teams actually end up driving here. Usually the California teams obviously have the long trip. They usually arrive the day before or maybe the night before the day before the tournament starts. They got to battle the jet lag. They get through all that. And at this point, with all the past great history they've had here, I think they get here with a swagger. I mean, I think those California teams come here maybe more than the other teams just because of what they've seen happen in the past, expecting to win. All right, we could talk about this tournament for hours, I think, but... Unfortunately, they, well, won't you give could. Us, they won't give us that much time here on the Pipeline <laughs> Podcast. So we're going to wrap things up. But thanks so much to Darren Sutton for joining us on the podcast this week. Jonathan Mayo. We will be joined again by Jim Callis. will make his return on the podcast next week. I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in.